All right. Welcome, welcome. Welcome back. Welcome to week three of our little, well, it's kind of gone from creative Bible intake, which is what it kind of is, to foundations of Bible intake, because we're getting through our 15 um, ways to engage in God's word. And that really, these 15 ways to engage in God's word, God's word are really foundational for other things, other studies. Okay. So, um, I, the goal is to get through the rest of the 15 today and then maybe just talk briefly about how they can, um, become the foundation for other, for other study, for Bible study. So we'll see how far we get today with that. Um, but if you have not been, I don't know if there's anybody who has not been with us. There's a couple that have not been with us. Um, what we have done is we started with the, on week one, talking about inductive Bible study, basically, and ways, just kind of the basics of study. But really the goal of this, of this class is to show that there are many ways to engage with the Word of God, right? Many, many ways. And there's no right and there's no wrong way. Well, I guess there is a wrong way if you like do it heretically. But, um, other, you know, for the most part, there's no right and wrong way to engage with God's Word. And so it's just to kind of get your creative juices flowing, to get an idea of what you can do for that. As a reminder, um, 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17 is the verse, kind of the keystone verse we've been going, we've been talking about. Um, as to our why, because we have to know why we're even here to begin with. So uh, basically, it says that continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred, sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ Jesus. And then verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. So remember, if we remember way back in week one, actually way back at Connect, we looked at this verse pretty intensely as far as the four things that are that the word of God is for and what it is profitable for, and that is teaching us reproof, which none of us love, correction, again, we don't love, and training in righteousness, which, I mean, training is no fun. Righteousness is cool. Training is no fun, but you know, they come together, right? So, um, and then of course, in verse 17, why? Why do we care, right? And we care because we can then be equipped for good works. And what does that mean? Just as a reminder, it does not mean the works that save us because there are none, yes? It means the works that we are called to do after we are saved and living in Christ. And that is when Christ is in us and we are in him, then we are called to be a light in the world. We are called to point others to the gospel. That is, by the way, how Crosspoint got its name. Just so you know, I was on bed rest with Arabella going, thinking through names and I named Crosspoint. I'm so proud to say, but the whole point was we, our whole, our whole, we were thinking, what is our mission? And it is to point the world in particular, point this little section of the world, Columbus, Georgia, to Christ and to be a beacon on a hill. And not Crosspoint itself, because we're just one church, but the church in general. And in order for us as women to be able to do that, we have to know the gospel and we have to know the word. And that is why we are here to begin with. That is why we are doing this. So with that said, that little introduction over with, um, let's go ahead and dig in. So there is a, the very first sheet looks familiar to you. It has been in every one of the handouts, um, for each week. And it is the fifth, it's got 15 little lines and check marks on it. Um, be, and the reason there are check marks is so that as you are practicing and trying these things, you can check them off. Yay. I love check marks. And then, so you're welcome to start fresh with this one or go ahead and use the one you've had. Um, then, of course, there's just notes pages. There's a quick handout here we're going to go over in a minute. And on the back, keep in mind, um, all the resources I'm discussing and I add to this every week are on this page. So just hit this QR code with your phone 
Um, if you're old and don't know how to do that, get somebody that's young and does and hit that QR code and um, it will pull up a document with links to just a whole bunch of resources that I've recommended and we've talked about. Okay. And like I said, I added more to them this week. So it's an ever-changing document. Uh, so feel free to, to, to look at it. Obviously, it's just for your um, edification. Okay, before we get started, and we don't have to spend any, a lot of time on this, but did anyone try anything new this week? You don't have to share, just anybody try anything new this week at all? Anything new when it comes to the Word of God? Anything new? Yes, I'm seeing a nod. Yay. Okay, yes. Yes, awesome. Okay, so that is, that is the goal. Not everything that we talk about is going to be something that resonates with you that you will really even learn from, but I, I encourage you to try it because, again, a lot of these things are building blocks for other things. So it's just like we got to learn first grade math before we get to sixth grade math. Well, sometimes it's important to understand, you know, how to use a Bible dictionary before we get to doing teaching a full study, right? So just think of them sort of as foundational. With that in mind, we are on number eight. I'm not going to review all of the previous, but if you go back and look, listen to on the podcast on the website, they are on there. And last week is when we started with number one. Okay. Um, I just don't want to spend the time to go through them all because, you know, I'll start talking about them again. So one through seven are from last week and they are on the podcast from last week. Number eight, though, is ways to engage with God's word is to use a dictionary. Oh, this is so easy, right? Use a um, dictionary. Look things up. We talked about one of our steps for inductive Bible study was kind of brainstorming. And I don't remember what cute word I used for it. I'd have to go back and look at my notes. But it's basically, you know, like mind mapping. And, and when you're reading a scripture to go through and like write down words you may not understand or you may not understand the context. Maybe you know the word, but you don't understand why it's in that particular verse because it maybe doesn't make 100% sense, right? Because sometimes the Bible doesn't to our natural eyes and ears, make sense, right? It's a mystery, but it is God's word to us, and he will reveal the, the answer to the mystery. He will, I mean, he'll solve it for us. He, I mean, he is, it's so cool how he does that. And depending on your um, expertise, your level, your um, your practice with the word of God, some things may be more confusing than others. And that is okay because we all start quite confused. Totally okay. So when you find, come across a word or a phrase that you don't really understand, write it down. And one of the things that we can do with it is go through a Bible dictionary. You can go through a regular old dictionary if you don't know what the word means. Okay, just a good old fashioned dictionary. All right, that's easy breezy. That's on your phone. Look up this word, type it in your notes app and then hit the button hit and hit it. And it'll say, look up and it will give you the definition if you just really don't know what it means. And then a Bible dictionary is a little bit different. It's a reference book or a reference app that contains like articles, like scholarly articles on people, places, objects, events in the Bible. Some are more focused. Some explore different topics like geography. Um theological topics. There's, there's a whole bunch of them. Um, so why should we use it? We use it to learn more about what's going on. It's that it goes back to context. In week one, we talked about context and how important that was. This goes back to that. And we learn about the people, the objects, the events around it. And it, 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 we can explore the history of the moment of the time, the culture, the theological topics that are being discussed. So there are several kinds of Bible dictionaries. There's, there's single volume dictionaries. There are multi-volume dictionaries and there are specialized dictionaries. And then there are online dictionaries, which can be part of any of those, right? So single volume has shorter articles. They're, it's like usually a definition. It's like a dictionary, you'll see. And there's not really a lot of articles in that. And there are several, and I, and I did. Um, link several of them in the resource guide, but you know, Nelson's and Zondervan's and Holman and Compact um, Dictionary. So there are several of those. Then there are multi-volume dictionaries. Um, like there's one called IVP, I think it's called. 
There's uh, a pictorial encyclopedia, which I think would be really cool. Um, these, I do not have multi-volume dictionaries in my house, honestly. Um, Brad does in his office, and that's why I like to go there and hang um, because he has like a whole library of stuff. But, um, but there are, but I do have some, um, some, well, I shouldn't say I don't have any multi. I have some, but they're like only two, like a New Testament and an Old Testament. Um, and, and I have, I have one that's an archaeological dictionary and one, anyway, they're interesting. They're good. They're, they're good. They're not the word of God, but they're good to, uh, to, to understand the word better. And then there's the specialized, like I mentioned, the archaeologic doctrine dictionaries, um, there's several. There are several. Okay. The Blue Letter Bible is free online, and that is a good way, a good tool to use um, as a Bible dictionary. Bible Hub has one. Really, anything that has the has the Bible, like that you could read, oftentimes has a Bible dictionaries attached to it. Vine's Expository Dictionary is one that I use a lot, um, and it's basically just kind of words and and putting them in context. So you can learn the cultural background, as I mentioned. So rather than reading in Deuteronomy 18.1 that the Israelite priests were not, you know, it says they were not to possess land, you can begin to understand the concept of priesthood in the ancient, you know, in that time frame. Uh, and in particular, Israel's priesthood. You can learn more about the actual priesthood by looking at that that part in a dictionary. You learn the meaning of words, as I mentioned. So there's an interesting um, little phrase in Leviticus. <laughs> I know everybody's favorite book, Leviticus 24, five through nine, and it says the bread of the presence, and um, and that that can be some that would be something that I would write down if I was reading that because I'd be like I do not really know what that means. If you go to a Bible dictionary, you can read where it was located, what it symbolized, and the cultural background. For example, the ritual presentation of bread before a deity, any deity was an ancient practice among Israel's neighboring countries. And so that, that was what it was referring to, talking about the true God. Um, you can learn about the geography to make it easier to understand better. So, for example, when you're thinking about the famine in Egypt in Genesis 12, you can learn about the boundaries of Egypt. And you can learn, interestingly, that only 5% of the land of Egypt was composed of land that was irrigated by the Nile. 5%. And they didn't have big, big irrigation you know, abilities like we do. And so you, it makes you understand the famine a little bit better. Again, learning key pla places, events, symbols. I won't keep moving on that. You understand all the examples. Um, so that is number eight, using a Bible dictionary. Number nine is um, following the, the question, which is um, cross-referencing. Okay. So what is a cross-reference? Most of you are familiar with cross-referencing. Um, I'm, I've mentioned it just a little bit. Just about every Bible has it in there. Even my little, I call this my church Bible because it's my church Bible. And it even has at the very bottom, like the little, have you noticed those? The little numbers or letters. It'll say, oh, these are numbers. Um, and it will cross-reference. Um, the there of course study bibles have tons of cross referencing you had there are whole cross reference bibles i forgot the name of the one that i have it's a um you guys may remember one may know which one you use uh, mine is an nasb version of it's a cross referencing bible and that's all it is it's it's literally it's just all the whole thing is cross referencing it's really interesting it's a really interesting bible i might have put it on the list i'm not sure um, but it's a marker in a text that points you to another text, a, a related text, a related verse in the Bible. So it's important that we recognize that they are not infallible, infallible, right? They are added by the publishers. They are not God-inspired, all right? We have to know that. They're not Scripture themselves, the little look here, look here. Now, there are some cross-references in Scripture in the New Testament that quotes the Old Testament. I mean, that is, you can count on that. The other things, though, remember that they're just to help us. Um, and so there's sometimes when it may not, you may not see the relevance, maybe not be 100% relevant, but that's okay. Because the Holy Spirit will guide you as you're looking through them. And over time, you will understand cross-references a little bit more, even if they don't make sense the first time you look at them. 
so Jesus used cross-referencing in Luke 24, 27. Paul used them in Romans 3 and throughout. The author of Hebrews uses them all the time. As you're listening to Brad, I mean, all the time he's cross-referencing, right? So how do we use cross-references? There are a couple of ways um, that cross-references is used. One is parallel passages, and it actually shows you where this passage is parallel, and that's oftentimes the Gospels, right? Uh, like, for example, Jesus feeding the 5,000 is in John 6, 1, also Matthew 14, 13 through 21. You know, so it's parallel. Um, it can add depth or understanding to the passage, like Matthew 27, 19, the cross-reference is there. And then it also quotes other scripture, like in Hebrews 6, 14, Genesis 22, 17. So those are the three main things. It helps you understand the passage better. It shows you where the exact same story was, was written somewhere else, or it is referencing, quoting another scripture. Um, it can also show you word studies, like in John 1, 1 and John 1, 14, it will show you, it will take a word and it will point you to where the word, that same word in the Bible, in the original language is also used. And you can do a mini word study on that. It can show you comparative themes, like in Ecclesiastes 1, 3 or Ecclesiastes 3, 9. And then there's less direct references. So basically, there's a lot of ways we could do this. And we don't have time to really dig into all of them to show examples. But dig into it and see where these, where these ways that cross-referencing can help you can, um, which, which, which cross-reference kind of fits what? Is this a parallel? Is this a theme? Is this a word study? What is this? All right. So what does it look like personally? When you read a passage, look up the cross-references. That's all it means. Easy right? If your Bible doesn't have them listed, you can find it in Blue Letter Bible or something somewhere online. So look them up before you consult a commentary. This is a common, this is a common theme throughout all of these. If you notice, we have not discussed commentaries at all. And spoiler alert, we will not through all 15. Okay, we will do a little bit at the end if we get to it. Um, but make connections in your Bible. We've talked about the fact that the Bible is one story from Genesis to Revelation. It is one, it is one story, and it all points to Christ. And when you start making connections in the Word of God that you maybe didn't see before, it starts to kind of fill in the gaps of your understanding of who God is and who you are in Christ. Okay? And you can start making your own connections. Maybe the author, maybe the publisher didn't put, put a cross-reference in there, but you start making your own connections and list your own cross-referencing. Write them down, okay? So put them in the margins of your Bible or in a notebook. Uh, scripture should not be uh, isolated. Scripture should interpret Scripture. And that's why it's important to go from one, you know, to interpret one Scripture with another Scripture. So practically speaking, read the passage. Look up the cross-references, okay? It might be helpful to write them down and take notes on them. Look up the cross-references, cross-references, right? And then you can move on. So it's pretty, you can go down major rabbit holes and there's nothing wrong with that. Just because your goal was to study a particular, you know, Ephesians chapter two, but you got stuck in verse two, because you're doing cross-referencing, cross-references, cross-references, and God is starting to show you how that fits with the entire rest of the Bible, that is okay. Do not feel the pressure to get back to Ephesians 2, verse 3. Oh, because I said I was going to study this today. That's okay. That is the Holy Spirit guiding you in your study and teaching you more about Him. All right? So cross-referencing. That's one of the easy ones, but it's one that sometimes we don't do. So think through that. Uh, number 10, outline the passage. Okay, so this is where I did put a, uh, a little handout on here, maybe helpful. Um, and it's on the back of this page. And it's outlining the passage. This is super, super simple. You can do this in a lot of different ways, but this is a good way to practice. So basically what you're going to do is there's several steps. The first step is to read the passage. You know, that makes sense, right? 
Read the entire chapter or the passage that you are studying or looking at. This is a reading, not a cross-referencing, dig-deeping like we just talked about. This is a reading. Just read it. Familiarize yourself with it. Write down the author of the passage, the genre, uh, meaning is this a letter from Paul? Is this a historical chapter? Is this a, um, you know, is this a poetry chapter? What is the genre? And if you don't know what that means, look on, if you have a study Bible, look at the beginning of the study Bible and read, go through, just take the time to go through and just read like about the, the book. And it will tell you the genre of the book typically. And well, you'll get to understand the different genres. We don't, well, that's a whole nother talk. We're not going to talk about that today. Um, don't get me off topic, people. All right. So, <laughs> so write that down. Um, the step two is you're going to start highlighting just boom, boom, boom. Sort of like our mind mapping we did. Okay. I re- the, I, my mind works this way. Can you tell? I'm like a super throw everything on a piece of paper. Throw it all on there. So highlight themes. Okay. That's one of your things here. Main ideas, what I called it. Themes in the chapter. Okay. Something like, oh, this seems important. Oh, he said it more than once. Maybe this is a theme of this chapter or this passage, right? So themes, anything that's repeated, write that down. If it's repeated more than once, write it down. Or if it's a transition, write that down. So if it goes this, then this, right? This, but this, right? There's a a transition words, kind of write those down. And then Um, you're going to identify key verses or key sections, like high points, so to speak, like highlight key sections that stand out to you. Um, You're going to divide the passage up. That's step four. So step one is read it. Step two is highlight themes, repeats, and transitions. That's all that top part. Step three is to identify key verses or sections. Step four is to divide the passage up into those sections, smaller units. Each section sort of represents a cohesive thought. Okay? So to kind of, and honestly, most of our Bibles sort of do this for us anyway, because they put little subtitles in there. We can cheat, (laughs) right? It's okay to cheat a little bit. It's okay. But if you're like, okay, well, I see like three different important things within this one section that my Bible publisher only gave one title. You know what? You're not wrong. You're not wrong. So divide it up that way in your mind. There is an outline at the beginning of every study Bible. Don't read that before you do this. Because you're not wrong if you divide it differently. So what you'll want to do is you'll want to do that and then you start creating an outline. And that's at the bottom. Just a basic outline structure. We all know how to do this, right? Roman numerals, and then letters, and then lowercase, and then regular numerals, and then lowercase letters, right? We know how to do that. Roman numerals, capital letters, da-da-da, whatever it is. Start writing out your outline. And underneath your, uh, underneath your outline, your one, two, three, A, B, C, blah, blah, summarize it in each one. Okay, a concise summary of why you chose to separate that part out. So that's a little different than, and when you look in your, in your study Bible, it's going to just have them all listed out, right? The A, B, C, and I've got one here, and it's got, you know, A, and then it's got all the points. But what we want to do next is we want to build that out. We want to kind of put meat on the bones and summarize each section. And this whole, this whole exercise might be something you work on for a week for one chapter, and that's okay. All right, so bonus points for later after you've done all that. Step seven, analyze the context. Reflect on the historical, cultural, literary context. Consider the author's intent and original audience's perspective. Okay, we've talked about a lot of those things already. Eight, reflect on the application. Think about how it applies to your life. Practical ways you can apply it. Number nine, review it and revise it after you've thought about this. Maybe, maybe your original outline didn't quite fit. Go back and change it. Re-outline it. And then use that outline for study, deeper study, some of these other things, verse 10. 
Remember that this is just a method to understand God's word. It is not for perfection. It is not for you to teach to other people, although that'd be awesome if you did. It is not for you to put on Instagram. It is not for you to um, to publish. This is just for you to learn God's word. So give it a try, okay? All right, so number 11, I am going to... Um, am I going to skip? Are we going to do it now? All right. I'm going to briefly talk about it now because it's, you got a whole handout on it. And this number 11 is, um, basically a featured person in a passage. Looking specifically at a featured person. This is also called a biographical study. All right. This is a way to engage with God's word. So what I did was I gave you, ignore the fact that it's not branded for Connect, ignore the fact that it's got a website on it that doesn't make sense. I'd already done it in the past, so I just kept it. How to do a biographical study. So this is a handout on that. It is simply one way to do it. It's the way that I've done it. You don't have to do it this way, but it might, if you've never done this before, it might give you an idea. Okay, it's just some practical steps. So there's a study checklist here. It's just a checklist of what to do when you're doing a biographical study. And then there's some questions. Not all of them will fit. You won't have answers to all of them. You may not know when they lived. You may not know the meaning of their name. You may not know some of these answers, but it's things to think about. There's historical questions. Okay. And there are a bunch of those. How many of them are there? There was 20 of them. You're welcome. And then there's character questions. And these are like, and there's also, oh, there's 18 of those. All right. These are things like, what did God say about them? What did our enemies say about them? What did their people in their lives say about them? You may not have the answer, depending on what, who you're studying. But it's good to kind of think through. And when you're, when you're thinking about a biographical study. And then, of course, at the end of this is... Um, just like we talked about the, in week one is applying it to our lives. But I thought that, that it might be helpful to get you started with some questions. So that's why I threw that at you. Sorry about that. Okay. So that didn't take as long as I thought. Biographical study. We could spend a whole hour just talking about biographical studies and how to apply them to our lives because just studying about somebody is awesome for our own head knowledge, but that is not the reason that we do it, right? We do it so we can know who God is. It's a recurring thing. We know who God is, know who we are in Christ. We do it so we can, we can um, be equipped for good works. We can do it to figure out why I need to study this. Why does it matter? You know? I mean, yeah, Esther is a, such a cool story. It is so much drama. Hollywood could not have done it better. It is so much stinking drama. And it's awesome just to be entertained by that story. Seriously, it's entertaining. But that's not the point of the, of the story. That's not the point of the book. The point of the book is so that we see the providence and the sovereignty of God and that we see that in our lives. And because of that, we can apply that truth and many others. But the point is, is we don't learn about these people just simply to understand history. Although that's great. We learn about them because there's a reason why they're in the Word of God. There's a reason. All right. Okay. So next, number 12. We're going to do it? All right. We're going to do it. Number 12 is draw it out. Okay. This, is, this can be uh, representative and not literal. And let me explain. So this, you might have heard of this as Bible journaling, Bible art journaling. Has anybody heard of that? I love it. It's a thing for me. It's a thing for me because I think in color. I, I, I think, I mean, I, it's just, it's a fault maybe that if you give me a piece of paper that's like all black, I struggle. I mean, meaning like all black words. I'm like, ugh. My, I mean, this is what my, these are what my sermon notes look like. Literally in church, I'm going from color to color. Okay, when I only have one pen, oh, here's another one. When I only have one pen, I get real, real sad. Oh, here's the day I only had one pen. So when I only have one pen, 
uh, I go back later and I add color to it and I add these little brackets and I add these little arrows and I do capitals and I do anything I can do to keep my own attention, right? So this is something that's important for me. It may not be important for you. Oh, I'm sweating. <sighs> it feels good, sorry. I know, right? Right here in the middle of <laughs> everything. Okay, all right. So Bible journaling or Bible art journaling is um, a creative and a meaningful way to engage in scripture for a lot of people. It combines art and journaling, okay, as you study the Bible. You can create personalized visual representations of your reflections on the word of God. Personalized representations, right? So there are some benefits to it. You actually, if your mind works this way, now if it does not, you may not benefit at all from this, and that's okay. But if, you, if your brain works this way, you can gain deeper connections because you can connect with scripture on a level because you're meditating it, you're slowing down, you're thinking about it when you're representing it, you're having to think, how would I represent this? And it may not be as easy as the Psalms, super easy to represent, right? A lot of times, you know, anything that's descriptive, super easy to represent. Esther, super easy to represent. We got a crown, we got a queen, you know, all the things. But what if it's kind of an obscure passage or something? How would I represent it, right? How do I represent the fact that I sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? How do I, how do I represent that? I mean, maybe it's just, maybe it's with color. Maybe I'm going to write out my sin and I'm going to color over it with, with black. Maybe I'm going to then, you know, take that and tear it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just saying there are ways to represent things visually so you remember it. Um, again, memory aid. That's number two. The visual aspect can help you remember it and recall it. We're going to talk about memorization in a minute. Spoiler. But you can recall it better when you have a visual representation of it. Um, it, it's a creative way to worship. We were created to worship, right? And we are all creative people, beings, women. We are create. We were. You are creative, whether you think you are or not. It may not be in in this kind of creativity, but in some way, I mean, because because God is the ultimate creator, and we were created in His image. So we are creative, and this is one way to express that creativity in worship. And then personalized devotion. Your journal becomes a personalized spiritual diary, capturing your unique journey with God and what you thought in that moment. You have no idea how many times I go back after studying and I see what I have visually represented it as, and I am shocked by how what a dark place I was in maybe. Or what a gratitude, what a spirit of gratitude I had when I came back and looked. And now I'm not, maybe I'm not, don't have that same perspective. But I can go back and I can remember the faithfulness. I can remember what I'm learning. I can understand that I'm learning more now. It's the same passage of scripture, and now I seem to have a completely different take on it. How does that happen? Right. Because the word of God is living and active. And it cuts us. Oh, that verse itself, sharper than a two-edged sword. Man, how can you represent that? So that you remember it. Anyway, it doesn't have to be in a Bible. I know that um, you know you don't have to have a journaling Bible, a Bible journal. Um, if you do, I do not suggest that it be in your primary Bible. Um, I am, you know, I, it can be. It can be. But I, make sure that... Um, I don't know. I'm not saying this right. What I mean is if you're going to experiment with visual representation and Bible journaling and color it all in your Bible, I got no problem with that. But don't color over the word of God if that's the only word of God you got. Yes, that's it. All right. Which none of us, I mean, we live in a place where, honestly, how many of us have multiple Bibles? I mean, I have multiple sitting right here next to me. And I have another one in my car. Just randomly. Right? So, so anyway. So if you want, if you want to, if, if that's something you want to do, and I have a Bible that I do all the things in, that's all it is, and that's all it's for, is for visual, reflective worship. And that's what it's for. Um, okay. Uh, what else? So here's some practical steps for you. 
All right, number one, if you want to practice this, choose your scripture passage. Okay, just choose, choose whatever you happen to be studying. Uh, number two, find some ways to be creative. Gather your supplies is number two. Um, a Bible, a journal maybe. Maybe it's um, colored pencils. That's what I usually use, just colored, just regular old colored pencils. All right. Uh, stop, reflect, and pray. Take a moment to pray and reflect on the passage. Read the passage, reflect on it. Ask God for insights. Then create your art. Start illustrating your passage. Drawings, colors, designs. Um, let it reflect your emotion, your understanding. Number six is to journal your thoughts about it. What were your reflections on what you've created? What are your prayers on that? Explain the passage, what it means to you and how it impacts your life. Um, this is not really a step, but this is an overarching. Don't, be don't worry about perfection. There's no right or wrong way to do this. It is a very personal expression of faith. All right, embrace imperfections. And then practice. When you practice it more and more, you'll figure out whether this is a good way for you to engage with the word or not. And here's another cool little spoiler. Just because it doesn't fit where you right now, it might in the future and vice versa. Because some things, depending on where we are, we tend to, uh, you know, relate to more when it comes to even the study of God's word. All right. And then sh share it. Share it with someone else, maybe, if you feel comfortable. Okay. Bottom line is it's a unique way. It is a very unique way of engaging with God's word and connecting. Um, and it's something that I encourage you to at least try. All right, next up, number 13, memorization. Okay, we, this is something that we know is powerful. And then we, and, 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 and there's a lot of different ways to do it, again, depending on how our brain works. So I'm going to encourage you to memorize over the next week. Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. Okay, so, so how are we going to do this? Choose your translation to memorize from, number one. Number two, read through the passage and gain an understanding. This is kind of a common theme, right? <laughs> All right, don't try to memorize it. Just read it at this point. Number three, write it out. We already did, went through that. So write it out. Be sure to include the reference before you write it and the reference after you write it. Number four, read the passage out loud at least three times, including the references. Number five, every day, read through the passage out loud as many times as you can. Just read it. Read it out loud. In your car, if you're, you know, with your kids, out loud. Number six, start with the first phrase and start memorizing it phrase by phrase. Don't try to memorize too much at once. Now, if you're young, got a real young brain, you can probably memorize it all real quick. All right. If not, try phrase by phrase. Make sure you include the reference before and after when you practice and then just keep doing it. And I have it here and I would read it, but I'm not going to for time's sake. There's another method that I really like, and you guys have probably seen it before, and that's the first letter. Have you guys done that? Where you take the first letter and you write it out, and then you can, then it's a visual and it's a, it's a prompt, like the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, let's say. So it's T-L-O-T-L-I-P-R-T-S. And I'm like, whoo, okay. That hurts my brain to do it that way. Honestly, that's never been something I do. But here's a trick. This is, what, this is where, again, my crazy brain comes in play. I can't necessarily do it when I'm just looking at a string of letters. Some of you probably can. I can't. But I can do it if I doodle something that reminds me of it and I stick the letters in that. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. What can I do? What can I do? What can I do? The law, maybe a scroll. I can draw a simple scroll. That's what I think of when I think of the law. What you think of might be different. It might be tablets. It might be, I don't know, perfect. Maybe it's a heart. I don't know what it is. I don't know what you, what's the very first thing you thought of when you read that. Okay? I would draw a scroll, and then I would 
take those letters and I would strategically place them around that drawing. And then I could remember it better. <laughs> All right, re repetition, repetition. All right, number 14, we're actually not going to talk about this one, so yay. But number 14 is to speak, sing, or act out the verses. We talked about saying, out, saying it out loud. We talked about acting it out when we talked about getting into the story a little bit. Singing it, we haven't really talked about that, but I love this version. There are lots of resources, actually, and if you have kids, you probably know them all, that they sing the, the verses, blah, blah, all the things. But you don't need those. You just need to be able to, and you don't even need to carry tune. You just need to be willing to do it, right? So, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Done. I just sang the first verse. Okay? So, make a tune. Use twinkle, twinkle tune. It doesn't matter. But sing the Word of God. That's a cool way to engage with the Word. Okay, number 15. And we've talked about this already, so we're not going to spend a ton of time, but I am going to give you some examples of some practice verses. Um, but this is summarizing the, the passage. And this is, we talked about it in the inductive study on week one. But just as a reminder, to dig a little bit deeper on the summarization, there's five, uh, to me, there's five steps that I would recommend. One is to read it very carefully. Start by reading the passage carefully, making note of key themes, events, messages, okay? Number two, identify main points, okay? Number three, condense the content. So aim to condense the passage into a few concise sentences. Number four, focus on those key themes. So you summarize it based around central themes. And then number five, you use your own words. Now, knowing this is not the word of God, your words ain't the word of God, but your words may help you remember the word of God. So seven examples really quickly. Psalm 23. Summary. Psalm 23 reassures that God, our shepherd, provides God's comforts and protects us through our lives. That's the summary of the whole, of the whole thing. My summary. The parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 through 32. Um, you can summarize it focusing on themes of repentance, forgiveness, reconciliation. Psalm 1 is, is something to practice with, highlighting the contrast between the righteous and the wicked, the blessings of delighting and the blessings of delighting in God's word. Isaiah 53, summarize that, describing the prophetic passage about the suffering servant and the atoning work of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 58. Ooh, that's a long one. Also called the resurrection chapter. It discusses the resurrection of the dead, the victory over death through Christ, and the hope of eternal life. Summarize that chapter. Romans 8, 1 through 39. Good luck summarizing that one, right? But if you can summarize it in just a couple of sentences, it doesn't have to be, you know, the way I would do it. Ooh, hello. Oh, it's giving me the verses. <laughs> <laughs> And then Genesis 22, 1 through 19, Abraham's sacrifice of Isaac, right? Just summarize it. Um, as a bonus, this is not on, the, on your list, but as a bonus, ask, what does this teach me about God? How does it relate to the gospel and Jesus? All right, when you're, that's just kind of a bonus thing to think about as you're studying. What does this teach me about God? How does this passage relate to the gospel and Jesus? All right, now I'm going, I have five minutes and I'm going to briefly talk about the one thing that we have not discussed in this entire thing. And that is because we want to engage with God's word first before we move on to these. And it's going to be commentaries, okay? I'm going to make a quick note about commentaries. Commentaries are someone else's thoughts, ideas, someone else's theology. They're often, they're, they're peer reviewed, usually they're edited, but they're still a man's thought. They're the last thing we go to. They are so important and so cool and so helpful a lot of times, but they are the last thing we go to. All right, so there's multiple types. There's an expository commentaries, and they provide verse by verse or passage by passage explanations. 
They focus on meaning, context, and application of the Bible. So they're expository. There are topical commentaries. And just as it mentions, they concentrate on specific themes, topics, even books of the Bible. They offer in-depth exploration of a particular subject or area of interest. Number three, there are devotional commentaries. And these are designed for personal growth. Women love these, right? They're brief inspirational insights, reflections. Someone else, what someone else got out of it. Nothing wrong with reading them, but there's the devotional commentary. Historical commentaries is number four. And these focus on the historical context of the Bible, providing information about the culture, themes, and events. We talked about this in the dictionary part. That's basically a historical commentary. And then number five are theological commentaries. And these explore theological themes and doctrines. Right? like. You know, even Grudem's book. You know, there, so there's a theological commentary. So when should we use them? When should you use a commentary? During Bible study preparation, if you're teaching a Bible study, they can be very helpful when preparing an in-depth Bible study or teaching. They provide additional background information and insights. When you, re- when you face a difficult passage and you've encountered it and you've gone through, you know, everything you can think to go through, You've cross-referenced, you've read it, you've done, you know, you're trying to figure it out, and it's still unclear. Commentaries can offer explanations and interpretations that shed light on that, okay? If you're preparing a sermon, which none of us are, but that is a big way to prepare, I mean, to use commentaries potentially, um, to make sure that there's accurate interpretation, and we'll talk about that in a minute, about why we have to be careful about that. And then obviously the way we use it you, most of the time is for personal study. Well, we also use it to help us with difficult passages, but for personal study. They can enrich your personal Bible study by offering fresh perspectives on things. I mean, they, they really can once we have studied it ourselves. So here are some tips on how to use it. As a reminder, I'm going to remind you, read the book first. Do everything. Underline, annotate, circle. Do everything. Look up unfamiliar words already in the dictionary, English dictionary, Bible dictionary. Use other translations. We talked about translations last week, all the different types of translations, word for word, thought for thought, yada, yada, okay? Outline the passage. We talked about that. Look up cross-references. Paraphrase it or summarize it. Do all these things, then move to your commentary. So we want to choose wisely. Select commentaries from reputable authors or publishers. Consider the theological perspective of the commentary and how it aligns with your belief. How it aligns with what we teach at Crosspoint. I think it's really important to avoid confusion. Okay, use multiple commentaries potentially. Consult more than one to gain a broader perspective and compare the interpretations. Understand the context, paying attention to the historical, cultural, literary context, um, and understand that kind of you can compare and contrast the context of the different commentaries. Pray for guidance. This probably should have been number one. Seek the Holy Spirit's guidance as you're looking through commentaries. Ask questions. Ask questions about the text. What is the author's interpretation? Does it align with what the commentary says? What what, what is the Holy Spirit telling you about it versus what the commentary is saying? Maybe you don't understand something the commentary is saying. Why would they say that? Ask questions about it. Use the Word of God. Um, apply insights that you, that you, you know, that someone else's insights, that can, that can still be applied to us. We do that every week. The insights that the Holy Spirit gives to Brad, we listen to that. And that's a good thing. And we can apply those insights. That is not the only way we need to be applying the, the, the passages. We don't need to just be just applying what Brad says about Hebrews to our lives, and that's it. We also need to be reading Hebrews for ourselves. But it's helpful. It's helpful. And exercise discernment. Remember that commentaries are not infallible, just like the cross-referencing. Interpretations will vary. They will vary. Use discernment and prioritize your Bible itself as the ultimate authority. Okay? 
So they're valuable resources, but you have to use them wisely in conjunction with prayer and careful study. Okay? So that's my blurb on commentaries. Um, I have a study Bible sitting right here. The ESV study Bible and the CSB study Bible are the two that I use primarily. Like if I'm like wanting like little blurby commentaries on a passage after I've studied it, those are the two I go to. And then, of course, there are tons of other commentaries. I did put some in the resources. Um, I like Precept Austin. I like, there's several websites and several commentaries that I did put in the resource list um, that you can look to and use. But I think we need to adjust the way we think because we tend to, um, not we, I, I tend to have a habit of quickly going to commentaries because I don't understand what I'm reading and I need to figure it out. So someone a lot smarter than me has already figured it out. So I need to go to see what they have to say before I even really dig deep and try to figure it out for myself. It's a shortcut for me. So we have to be careful about that. Um, all right, so those were 15, <laughs> 15 ways to engage the God words. As you know, some of them kind of fit into others. They kind of flow into one and the other. If you look at the biographical study, a lot of those that uses that. I have a whole nother handout. It's 13 pages on how to do a book study. I told, I told Allison, I said, I did not print that out. I literally did a two-hour class on how to do a book study one time. And I figured I probably wouldn't get to that in, you know, today. Um, but it is, um, but basically once you get kind of these, a lot of these kind of foundational points, ways to engage with God's word, then the bigger studies, you can, you, you always come back to these. All right. Again, no right or wrong way to do this, but hopefully you'll be able to check all of these off. Even the ones that make you feel a little uncomfortable. Okay. Even the singing, the verses or drawing them out, check them off at some point, and let's engage with God's word, which is the most important thing.